hearing from you this morning from 2 Kings chapter 4. So you could be turning to that while I just preamble a little bit. Um, it's lovely to be with you. We had a fantastic time yesterday, um, didn't we, at the Beacon Centre? What a lovely centre you've got there as well, isn't it? I love, I love, it's the best porch I've ever seen, you know, that porch, fantastic. Yeah, I'd like to have one built, built in the front of our house, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But we had a wonderful time and God was speaking and uh, we were really just, just sensing that we were, were you know, moving with God and that... Uh, he was touching things in our lives, which was brilliant. And I, I'm in faith that God's going to be doing that this morning, that God's going to be uh, you know, reaching into your heart. He's already doing it. He's already spoken to us, hasn't he? He's already been speaking to us about stepping out of the boat, capturing this moment, capturing this moment, the water's rising in your heart. And that's, that's really what I'm going to be preaching on this morning, is the whole thing about going on a faith journey, going on a journey with faith, Okay. Actually, that would be very apt when, you, when I unpack this a bit. But going on a journey with faith. And, uh, but first of all, I'd just like to, Steve said, you know, just to introduce myself a bit, really. My, name, my name's Pete. I've got my lovely wife, Fran, here. I'm actually a Welshman. I was actually born and brought up in Wales. Boy, oh. That wasn't tongues. That was a bit of Welsh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I was, I was, born, I was born in the, in, in the Welsh Valleys, yes, and uh, Methodist stock, my dad was a Methodist minister, so I was brought up in Methodist churches in, in, in South Wales, and uh, some, some of the churches were, were very, very small, you know, they have a congregation of six, that type of thing, and uh, moved, moved to the south of England, my, my dad moved to the south of England eventually, and, uh, and in Sussex, we had to close down a few churches. Did you know that you actually have to... There were, there were churches that only had six, but they, they needed to be closed down. You had to have 12 in order to close it down. So you'd have to borrow members from another church in order to get enough members to have a quorum in order to sh- shut the church down. I mean, it was, you know, that was the sort of thing that was going on. But, but praise God, um, during the time in Sussex, um, I, I met Fran, got married, and... Uh, and there was, a, there was a, you know, there was a move of God. There was the, um, we were talking about it with John. There was the come together, um, f- uh, musicals, you know. The Jesus Christ superstar was on at the, at the theatre, but it, it got young people interested uh, about Jesus, wanting to find out more, you know. So I come from that kind of, that kind of era, that kind of stock. And um, we, we, I think we were the only ones that we knew at the time that we, we went to a Baptist church. We left the Methodist church, went to a Baptist church. And we were the only ones in the Baptist church that had been accepted into membership without being baptized. Ah, they, they, even the members hadn't heard of that before. We were accepted into membership without being baptized. Um, and then we went back to, had a call back to the Methodist church. And then when we got back to the Methodist church, God convicted us about baptism. Water baptism. So, so we then became the first ones to be bapt- adult baptized, Im- fully immersed in the Methodist church. And uh, not only that, but, but, but also got filled with the Spirit. Went to spring harvest, got filled with the Spirit, and then, you know, that's when all the excitement started then. You know, things were happening, do you know what I mean? You know, just the life of God. And uh, our youth group grew, and, and our home group grew, and, uh, you know, we were going into gifts of the Spirit and trying to set up more groups. Didn't sit comfortably with the church system at the time, and we were just very politely asked to leave. That it didn't quite sit with them. And, uh, oh, um, where's John? Where's, where's John? Uh, John, where's he hiding? Where, where is he? There he is, John. Yeah. Got into dreadful trouble for having drums in the church. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, we actually brought drums into the church and started playing the drums, and that was it. That was it. Out. <laughs> Some might say now it is. <laughs> so, so there we are. We, we were um, a little bit homeless for, for a while, and um, we joined a small fellowship that was in Hastings. It was all called Hastings Christian Fellowship at the time. And, uh, and then that grew. That came into King's, King's Church, Hastings. And we were there for 25 years, weren't we? And, and that grew and grew. And, um, and 350, 400 uh, thing, we got involved in, in other, other works that they were doing. And, uh, and eventually God called us to, to move on. And we thought we were going to go down to the West Country, which is where my parents are. My parents uh, have not been well. So we thought God was calling us down there. So we thought we'd say goodbye to friends of ours in Ashford because we'd promised them for years that we'd come and visit them in Ashford. So we thought we'd have one Sunday, we'd go and say goodbye to them. So we went and said goodbye to them. And God said, hello, <laughs> this is your new home. <laughs> and that was it. We've been, at, we've been at Ashford since then. And we've got involved in the church there. Um, I remember God speaking to me the first Sunday that I was there. And he said, this, this church is ready for growth. This church is ready for an enormous growth spurt. And, uh, and you've experienced that in Hastings. Uh, yeah, I, want, you know, I want you to be around. And uh, sure enough, within a year, the, gr- the church had doubled and was on, on great, great momentum. And uh, it's through steps of faith and obedience. And that's what's happening to you, is that you have been obedient to God and you have stepped out. You've, you've moved. Well, you haven't moved building. You have multiplied, haven't you? You've multiplied your presence, your, your premises, so you're now in another area where you're able to serve God and you're able to reach out to a new, new community. And with that, I believe, will come new opportunities for you to reach into the community. There'll be new areas of evangelism, uh, you know, particularly one-to-one type evangelism where you're, you're, you've got groups, you know, quizzes and meals and uh, serving the community by things that they want to do. I, I, I like what was said at the, in the notices about how to do a plug and you know, practical things like that. Because I think that that is a way that you reach out to people, is that you, you serve them with practical needs and then they, they, you, you win them to yourself and then you win them to our, to our saviour. So, so be, be encouraged because you're, you're, God is on the move in this place. And uh, yeah, God, God's given me a few words for you, but I feel that perhaps I'm bring, to bring those uh, at the end. So, so let's, let's turn to 2 Kings, chapter 4. It's a, it's a big passage, and so what I'm going to do is, I'm actually going to start at verse uh, 18 in 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, for those of you who haven't read this, and I'm sure you have read it, it's the story about Elisha giving to a Shunammite woman a boy. She couldn't have a, 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 any children, and so he prophesied over her that she was going to have a boy within the year, and she did. This was a miracle boy. This was something that she had so wanted to have and never ever believed that she could possibly have. So, so much so did she, she desire this that she didn't want to even say anything when she was asked, what can we do for you? She didn't even sort of say, I'd love to have a son. But the prophet knew and she was given a son. So he's a, he's, so he's a miracle boy and he's a promise. He's a promise to her. So everything's in this child. Everything that this all the inheritance that they will have. They're a rich family. You get that from the story. They're a rich family, servants, land, and they've got a son now who's going to inherit the name and inherit the land. So everything's hanging on this boy. Then we come to verse 18. Oh, before I, before I go into this, there are three main characters 
You've got Elisha. You've got uh, Gehazi, the servant. Right? Now, he's, he's suffering some problems. He's suffering unbelief and doubt, which will come out in the story. And, and uh, he gets into dreadful problems in the following chapter. In fact, it's, it's, the, it's the end of his ministry time with Elisha in the next chapter. And then there's this Shunammite woman. Now, she appears to have no name. But I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to give her a name. I'm going to call her Faith. So this is a story with three main characters here. Faith, Gehazi, and Elisha. Okay? Verse 18 says, The child grew up. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat up on her lap until noon, and then he died. Faith went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow, slow for me until I tell you. So faith set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw faith in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's faith. <laughs> I've deliberately done this, okay? There's faith. Run to meet her. And ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When faith reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I, did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. If you meet anybody, do not greet them, and if anybody greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's faith, face. But the child's mother said, or rather faith said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. When he, then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, and as he stretched himself upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha 
turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got onto the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, and, and he oh, called the, call the Shumite, and he, and he did. And when, he, when she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. And then she took her son and went out. Absolutely amazing story. And I want to unpack this a little bit, and I want to bring the relevance that it is for you. Old Testament stories are for us to engage with now. A lot of the Old Testament stories are, are faith-building stories that if we get a hold of them and apply them to our situation, that we can find blessing, we can find breakthrough, we can find an answer from God. And so this story that faith has gone through is a story for us to go through. And I wonder where you are at the moment because this child was a promise from God. This was a hope that she had for the future. And I believe that there are hopes and dreams that you have that God has given you. It may be in years gone by, God has spoken to you that you're to go from this place to that place or God is going to use you in a particular way or maybe God has given you promises you know, or a strong sense that things are going to happen within your family, your job, uh, your finances, your, your, where you're living. You know, there could be lots of things that you feel that God has promised you or you've got a, a hope and you've got a, a real hope that something is going to happen. You've got a, a you know, I believe one day I'm going to, to do this. I believe one day I'll be able to do this. I believe one day God's going to bring an answer to this. All right? And there may be something that you're holding on to, some hope. And God has been, has been with you and he's been helping you and you've known his strength You've known his encouragement. You've had your kind of ups and downs with it, but you're holding on in faith. What is your hope and your dream? What is it that if you are stripped back, what is it inside that you are really holding out to God for? What is it? Where is, where is God taking you? Where, what are the promises that God has given you that you are moving into or looking to move into, that you're looking ahead and sort of saying, I'm looking to move into that. There are hopes and promises that we have. But there can be tough times. It can be a struggle to fight the fight of faith. And faith enters into her journey. Faith is entering into a journey here because this particular morning, her son has grown up to such a stage now that he can start to mature. And so he's gone out to the field to be with the workers so he's having his first experience of being out there, doing what the family business is. And all of a sudden, he collapses. My head, my head. And that's quite often the problem that we have, is that when we start to hit things, when we start to step out, oh, my head, my head, I've got doubts. Am I really called to do this? Can I really, is, did God really say? And the enemy can come in and start to fill us with lies and deception. And so our head can give us trouble. And in this particular situation, the husband just said, take the boy to her mother. So the boy went to the mother 
and was nursed on the mother's lap. Now, this is what we can do sometimes. When we get a bit hurt, when we get a bit disappointed, we can go back to be nursed. Oh, poor me, poor me. I thought it was going to happen. It's not going to happen. God doesn't love me anymore. Do you mean? And we can, get, we can start to close in and want nursing and want molly coddling. Okay? Now, the danger with that is that we take our sight, we take our eyes off the solution, which is God, and we put our eyes onto our feelings and our disappointments. Okay? There is an opportunity this morning for us to lift our gaze out of our situations and to look to the source of our promise and ultimately the giver and breakthrough of our promises. And the woman, Faith, when her son suddenly dropped dead, didn't say to herself, that's the end of it. I don't believe in God anymore. I knew it wasn't going to work. I knew I was going to be disappointed. She didn't do that. Neither did she do what women did at that time and start to wail and to weep because that's what they did to get rid of their grief. They expressed it. They, they wailed and, and, uh, until their grief had been expended. She didn't because she wasn't going to grieve. And she wasn't going to grieve because she did not believe that the promise was dead. She did not believe that what God had given to her was going to be taken away. She didn't believe it. But... The reality was there was her son that looked dead and for all intents and purposes was dead. Now it's very significant what she does next because although hope seems to be dead, faith does not accept this and so faith carries the child and puts the child onto the prophet's bed. Now she does this because she is going back to where the promise came from. She's sort of saying, well, this is the nearest I can get to God at the moment, is back to the prophet's bed, okay? Because the prophet was the one who delivered this promise to me. So she puts the boy on to the prophet's bed, doesn't tell anybody, doesn't tell her husband, doesn't tell anybody what has happened. Nobody is any the wiser. Because later on, she goes and asks her husband, can I have a servant so I can go and visit the prophet? Now, the husband didn't sort of say, oh, how's... How's our, how's our son doing? Is he all right? How's his head? He doesn't say anything like that. So obviously there's no news that's come to him that the, that the boy is dead. No, she's kept it from him. She keeps it from him because she does not want to be distracted by negative uh, thoughts, negative comments. Do you know what I mean? She shielded herself. Now God was speaking this morning in the service and he sort of said, capture this moment, didn't he? He said, capture this moment and lock it in. Protect yourself. Do not allow the enemy to rob you and take away from you the promises that he's given you. Don't allow yourself to be robbed of the rising tide that's in you. And so she says, I'm not going to be robbed. I'm not going to be robbed. I believe that God is the provider. And I'm not going to accept that this child is dead. And so she didn't say anything to anybody because she didn't want to get into any discussion. I'm not going to entertain it. Because otherwise, if anybody would known, they would have sort of said, oh, you poor thing, you poor thing. You know, oh, wow, they'll all start wailing. Do you know what I mean? And you don't want people wailing around you and feeding you with negative things. You know, oh, it'll be all right in the end. Do you know what I mean? It'll be okay. Oh, there'll be enough, plenty more fish in the sea. Do you know what I mean? You don't want that. You want to be focused. God's calling on my life. God's promises for me. And so she... 
says to her husband, I'm going to visit the prophet. And uh, her husband, by the way, doesn't appear to be a Christian or doesn't, doesn't appear to be a believer. Now, there's evidence, it, it, evidence is in there that he wasn't, wasn't a believer, but he was sympathetic. Um, but she, she didn't want to tell him because she didn't want to entertain anything of unbelief that he might have brought into it as well. Because he, in a sense, could have brought into a whole new uh, operation here to sort of say, no, woman, don't go. Because if, if he'd said, don't go, that would have been it. That would have been a real difficulty for her. So she didn't entertain that. She just sort of came politely in faith and said, can I go? Can I do this? And he said, go. And so she got the servant and she went. I wonder whether she was already carrying uh, a knowledge of faith in her heart because she may have heard the stories about Elijah who came before Elisha. Now Elijah was a prophet who also raised a widow's son from the dead. So maybe she'd even heard about that and sort of said, I know that God can do this because I've heard that God's done this for somebody else. So I know that God can do this. She may have even prayed over her son on the prophet's bed. We don't know. She may have even prayed, you know, but the son didn't come back to life, so she thought, right, what do I do next? Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and find the prophet. I'm going to go and find the prophet, and we're going to find the breakthrough here. And so she rode as fast as she could, and then she met Elisha at Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is very, very significant, because Mount Carmel was where the prophets, the false prophets of Baal were defeated in a most dramatic way. Elisha was the one prophet of God who set a challenge to 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel and sort of said, come on, let's satisfy this once and for all. Who is the true God in this world? Who is the true God? If it's your God, then let your God come and burn a sacrifice here on Mount Carmel. So they built a big stone altar to sacrifice they built an altar to sacrifice and they put sacrifices on it. And the prophets of Baal, 850 of them, wailed and cut themselves and all kinds of things to try and make their God come and lick up the sacrifice with some fire. But nothing happened. But then it just sort of says Elisha prayed. And as soon as Elisha prayed, it says fire came down from heaven and not only consumed the sacrifice, but consumed all the stones that were put on the sacrifice. And not only the stones, but also, just for good measure, Elisha, Elijah had thrown buckets and buckets of water all over it to make it completely soggy. But God was so powerful that he burnt through it all. And God was sort of saying, there is nothing, nothing that can stand in my way. There's nothing that can stand in my way. If somebody comes in faith, Elijah prayed in faith, nothing stood in their way. And so he consumed all the sacrifice. And that day it was decided, the Lord God, Jehovah, is the one true God. Okay? And the 850 prophets were uh, killed. That was the end of them. And, uh, and Elisha had proved or in faith that God was the true God. There's another mount, not Mount Carmel, but, but there is the Mount of Crucifixion. There's the Mount of, what do we call it? Not the Mount of Crucifixion, Mount Golgotha. That's right. It's the Mount where Jesus Christ 
did exactly the same as this. He laid himself as a sacrifice on the cross for you and for me to satisfy once and for all who really had power over sin, who really had the, 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 to forgive sins, who really had the power of life and death. Because up until that moment, the devil and his minions, his demons, they all thought that they had got control of people's lives. But Jesus had come to lay himself as a sacrifice for our sins and it was accepted by God. In a similar way, on, on the Mount Carmel, when that sacrifice was eaten up by fire that came down from heaven and ate up the fire, Jesus lay, as it were, on the altar and gave his life as a sacrifice and God came down and accepted the sacrifice. And so when Jesus died and he said, it is finished, that was it. It brought in a new era. Salvation flowed. The curtain that separated us from God was suddenly split in two. And it was split from top to bottom. If you read it in the Bible, it says the curtain that separated man from God was ripped from the top to the bottom. So only God could do it. Man could only rip from the bottom upwards. But God ripped it from the top to the bottom to show that this was God speaking. God was saying, this is it. We have defeated the power of the enemy. And now you have life. You can have life through me. And Jesus rose from the dead three days later. And anybody who believes in him has the new life that Jesus Christ has got. We get raised up with Christ. The Holy Spirit that was on Jesus comes into our life. He comes into our life. It was finished. It was dealt with. It was sorted out at Mount Calvary. So this is a place of decision. This is a place where the rubber hits the road. This is where you get breakthrough. And I want to say to you this morning, do you have breakthrough that you need in your life? Do you struggle? Are you struggling? Be honest with yourself. Um, am, am I struggling with things? Am I feeling broken? Am I feeling, I've struggled with this. I've been wrestling with this. I feel quite broken. I feel God's been undoing me. I feel he's been undoing me for, for quite a while now. <laughs> I've been feeling that things have been stripped away. That's okay. That's good. Because we come to the cross in our brokenness. We come to the cross without anything. We don't come to the cross and sort of say, oh, I've, I've got this to bring. You know, I've managed to achieve this. I've managed to achieve that. No, you come to the cross of Jesus just as you are broken and in need of salvation, in need of new life. And you're sort of saying, I want the old to go and I want the new to come. So faith has arrived at Mount Carmel because she wants life. She wants life from death. And so she's come to the very place where the prophet Elijah had won this breakthrough and where Elisha was meditating and spending his time. Now it appears in the story that Elijah saw faith coming and it says ran out to meet her. But actually he sent the servant on ahead, Gehazi, to go to the woman and to ask her, is everything all right? Is everything okay? She did not want to speak to Gehazi 
Now, the reason why she didn't want to speak to Gehazi was because I think that she had already detected in him unbelief. I think she had already detected in him. Don't forget that Elisha and Gehazi had lived at her house for, for weeks on end. So she was a very discerning woman. And I think she kind of knew there was something not quite right with this servant. And so she didn't want to, to pour, she didn't want to talk to him because she didn't want to entertain unbelief again. She didn't want to say anything to him because she didn't want him to give her any, to talk to her about it at all. No, I want to talk to the prophet. I want to talk to Elijah, uh, Elisha. And so she just said to him, oh, everything's okay. And then she came to the prophet and she just fell at his feet and grabbed hold of his ankles and held onto his ankles and held onto his ankles. And do you know what this servant wanted to try and do? Pull her away. Pull her away. So that's how insensitive he was. Okay? We have to press through, brothers and sisters. We've got to press through sometimes when we're seeking God because the enemy would try and dissuade us. He would try and discourage us. He would try and push us away from entering into God's throne room. He would try and push us away from pressing through in faith. Okay? And that's what the servant was trying to do. But she would have none of it. She was going to go and hold on to the prophet and hold on to his ankles. And so the prophet immediately knew what was, what was wrong. As soon as she said about her son, immediately the prophet knew, ah, right, this is an attack. This is an attack. This is trying to you know, get the promise to die. We're not going to have it. So immediately he sort of says, okay, we're, we're going to do, do something about this. So he took his staff and gave it to his servant and said, run on ahead and put the, put the staff onto the boy's face. Now we know from the Bible that Peter and other uh, disciples, they had such an anointing on them that even the handkerchiefs that they had, if they touched them on somebody, they would get healed. That even if the shadow of Peter would pass some of the sick people in the road, even if his shadow passed over them, they would be healed. So he gave the staff because of an anointing. There's anointing on the staff, as it were. Go ahead with my anointing. Put it onto the boy. But whose hand did he put the staff into? The servant, Gehazi. Unbelieving. Doubting. So he was trying to carry the promise. Well, that dissipated it, didn't it? Because you can't have somebody who's in unbelief and, and doubt carrying this promise. And so he puts the staff on there. You can almost imagine him going in, just putting the staff down. No, walking away. Anything happening? No. Okay, pick up the staff. Okay, let's go and tell him. Yeah, it's no good. You know, oh, let's not bother the prophet. You can almost imagine him going back. To, oh, I'll rush back to stop the prophet having to come. Do you know what I mean? You don't need to come. You don't, the boy's dead. Sorry, the boy's dead. You don't need to come, Elisha. Let's go back to Carmel. Leave the woman. Do you know what I mean? But Elisha wasn't going to have any of that because faith said, I am going to go with you. As long as I live, I'm going to go with you. It's only you, Elisha, that's going to raise my son from the dead. And so she held on to Elisha for all her might. So Elisha said, okay, I will go. I will go. Even though his, son, his servant had gone on with the staff. It's much more important to keep with the anointing than to dabble about with doubt and unbelief. She would rather arrive, because she wanted to get back to her son, the one thing she wanted to see happen was her son raised to the dead. The one thing she didn't want to be doing was being parted from her son. The one thing she probably wanted to do was to run ahead with the servant. But she knew that she'd be running with unbelief. She wanted to run with 
Faith, she wanted to run with anointing. She wanted to run with the, with the prophet. So she would rather arrive late with the anointing than arrive early with unbelief and doubt. And sometimes we have to wait for God. Sometimes we have to wait for God and wait for that, that sense of his presence and then run with his presence. Okay? Not dabbling about with unbelief and doubt, but sort of saying, Lord, when you tell me to go, I will go. What you tell me to do, I will do. And we have to wait for God. Jesus said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until power comes on you. Then you will be my witnesses in the surrounding area. And so you're in a time like that where you need to wait on God. Some of you are in that moment right now where you're having to wait on God. Wait on God. Lord, this is, this is taking a long time. Yes, I know. I know. But I'm with you and I've got breakthrough promised for you. I will come through with you. I will come through for you, says God. I will come through for you. I just want that relationship with you. I want that intimacy with you. Will you wait with me? Will you wait with me? And we will walk together in this. Fran sang the song, didn't she? About getting out of the boat into the storm and walking together in the storm. Walking together, trusting God in the storm. And for some of you, that is it. You're having to trust God in the storm. It's battering about, the waves are high, yes, but God is with me, God loves me, and God will come through. When Elisha got to the boy, the boy looked dead, but Elisha didn't accept that. It says in the Bible here, it says that Elisha prayed. He didn't run in there and do exactly what his predecessor had done, Elijah, he didn't run in there and do exactly that he'd done because God does things different every day. When Jesus did miracles, one day he would speak to somebody to be healed. Another day he'd rest his hand on them and they would be healed. Another day he'd rub mud, spit into mud and put it onto their face, onto their, into their eyes and they'd get healed. Another day he might cast out a demon. He would do it in different ways. Why? Because he was in relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit and he would do whatever he was told to do. And he would do it in the way that he was told to do it. And I would encourage you this morning that as you're seeking God to move forward with God, listen to him and do what he tells you to do. <laughs> Be willing to move where he wants you to move. Be willing to, to pray when he wants you to pray. Um, I was saying very recently back at, back at my church that uh, uh, there have been times when God has told me to pray in the most unusual places. I mean... Getting up at three o'clock in the morning, that's not, that's not a bad deal. You know, getting, getting up in the middle of the night and praying and lying on the floor and praying, that's not bad. But when you're in the middle of a classroom and you're teaching a class <laughs> and you feel that the Holy Spirit is wanting to spend some time with you, that's a little bit more tricky. <laughs> it's not now. This was, this was some time ago. This, this, but this is, I, wouldn't get, I wouldn't be able to get away with it now. But it, it was a time I was a science teacher and I had a prep room next door to me, which was fine. So I just let the kids... <laughs> I let the kids get on with some work. I wrote on the board some work that they should do. And, and then I just went into the prep room and I just lay on the floor. I just lay on the floor and I just said, Lord, I just, I just want to be with you. And I just felt the spirit come on me. And I just, just felt his touch. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. And uh, I got back out into the classroom. And, uh, and I was obviously still under, God, under God's, I don't know, presence. You know, I was going, how's it all going, guys? <laughs> <laughs> and the kids are looking at me. And he said, what do we do next, sir? And I sort of say, oh, you 
do whatever you like. It's fine, it's a great day. <laughs> and this was a journey that God was taking me through. Praise God he doesn't do it now. <laughs> but, but that was it. I remember one kid coming up to me at the end of the lesson and he said, he said Sir, that was a brilliant lesson. Because they really laughed. They had a really, really great time. Sir, that was, that was a brilliant lesson. So I don't know what it is you're on, sir, but I would not like to have some of that. <laughs> Spurred me on to pray for the kids, pray for the, for the kids at school. But I do find that God will do that to me sometimes. He'll sort of say, look, I want to spend time with you. And so I'll have to leave the house and go somewhere, um, go to the bottom of the garden. I'll do something that I feel that God is telling me to do, just to linger with him, just to spend some time with him. And so Elisha was in the room and he was praying and he was waiting for God. And he was sort of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to lay my staff over him? Lord, do you want me to walk around the bed? What do you want me to do? And then God spoke to him in the most unusual way and sort of said, I want you to lie right across the boy. So he did it. did exactly what the Lord was telling him to do and he lay right across the boy. And it says that the boy's body got warmer. And so he got off the bed and it says that he prayed some more. It says he paced, he paced up and down. Now, the body got warmer. That was a real encouragement to Elisha. The body got warmer. There was a sign of hope. There was a sign that God was coming through. And he picked up that hope and he was going to press in with that hope and I say to you now, the body is getting warmer. The promises that God's got over you are getting warmer. What you're seeking God for is getting warmer. You're not through yet. You've still got that final push. But the body is getting warmer. God is giving you a trickle of faith. He's giving you a trickle of hope. That there every now and again, every now and again, when you're alone with him, you sort of think, yes, Lord, you are. You are my Lord and Saviour. You will see me through these difficulties. You know that people are saying things about me. You know that people are yapping away. You know that people are unkind to me. You know, you know that I'm struggling financially here. You know that I'm wondering what's going to happen next week. But at this moment, I sense your presence. I sense that you're with me. The body is getting warmer. The promise is getting warmer. You're near breakthrough. You're near breakthrough in what you're seeking God for. Elisha was going to be obedient to God no matter what God said that he had to do. God sometimes changes the goalposts, doesn't he? Pray this way, now pray that way. You're going this way, okay? Oh, now I want to speak to you. I want to, I want to take you this way now. But, but, but God, you, you said that you're going that way. That's okay, just trust me, okay? We're going to go this way now. And he seems to change the goalposts sometimes. And you think, God, why do you keep changing your mind? It's not that at all, actually. God allows the goalposts to change sometimes because he wants your attention. He wants, to, he wants intimacy with you. He wants you to talk to him and to sort of say, Lord, what's happening? Why, what, you know, what, what, what am I to do next? And it's a relationship that you have with him. Are your goalposts changing? Does God seem to be changing things sometimes for you? You're sort of thinking, I was going in that direction. Now I seem to be going in that direction. Right? God allows that to happen so that you get closer to him to sort of say, Lord, I'm going to trust you no matter what you say. <laughs> I believe you're going to have the breakthrough for me. Come to a place of surrender. And so it says that Elisha got onto the boy once more. And it says the boy sneezed seven times. And as soon as the boy sneezed seven times, Elisha 
That's it. We're through. You know, call, call Faith to come up and collect her son. You know, what is so significant about the seven? Seven is a biblical number. It's a, it's a number of perfection. It is a number that means completion. And so when the child sneezed seven times, that was a sign to Elisha that the breakthrough had happened. This is it. It's okay. This is through now and we're right through. It's complete now. You can give this boy back to, back to her. You don't have to pray anymore. All right, we're through. And seven in the Bible, it seems to be so important. There were seven days that God made the earth. There were seven plaits on Samson's hair to make him strong. Pharaoh dreamt of seven cows. Mary was delivered of seven demons to show that her deliverance was complete and that she was now perfect or pure, as it were. Pure would be a good word. Um, there were seven years and then you were set free from slavery. They marched around Jericho's walls seven times before the walls came down. In Revelation, you've got seven seals, you've got seven churches, you've got seven lampstands. So the number seven was an important number. It meant breakthrough. I believe that God is, is moving you to a number seven. I believe that God is bringing breakthrough. There's breakthrough ahead for you. The body is warm, but God is bringing you to breakthrough in the promises he's got for you. And when that breakthrough comes, it will feel like the number seven. It will feel like, yeah, God has really come through now. That's fine. We're, we're, we're through. We've got breakthrough. And so Elisha was so confident that he called for the, the faith and said, here's your son. I want you to receive, receive your son now. Everything's okay. And she just bowed down and she worshipped. She didn't worship him. She was worshipping God. She, it was the best way she knew to express to God, you're in charge. I surrender it all to you. I, I give my life to you. I give my son to you. I give my future to you. So I believe that God is, is over you to bring breakthrough. I believe he wants to bring uh, breakthrough on your left and on your right. And I prophesied that earlier on that there's a lot that God wants to do. I believe there's things that God is going to say. Is there a possibility that we could sing a song? And I just feel God's got some things to, to do, if that's all right. I just invite you to stand. I just